Okay. Okay. All right. Just go with it. All right. Awesome. Beautiful. All righty. So it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for taking you. the time. Yeah. All the way from, you're in San Diego, yeah? I am. Yeah. yeah. We're in Australia. Are you about? Uh, I'm on the Gold Coast. So that's kind of south of Brisbane on the East Coast, if you know okay. what that is. North of Sydney. North of Sydney. I, yeah. I have general ideas. Americans are so bad with geography. We, <laughs> we just, it's terrible. Yeah. Spain's it, are the same though. What's funny is I uh, I just finished, right before I came in to meet you, I've been watching this program called Limitless with Chris Hemsworth. Oh, uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. And and so, he, you know, he hangs out. I think he does a lot of this around Australia. He's with his brothers and his friends. So I, I, I have I have the voice in my head now. <laughs> Your voice doesn't sound unusual. It sounds normal. That's funny because when we see Australians on TV, we just think, oh, we sound so bad to the rest of the world. <laughs> no, not at all. Chris is very Americanized though now. Yeah. He, he lives in the same area. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's got a house here. In his big 12,000 square foot. Yeah, exactly. Tiny Massive. Home. Yeah. Huge. <laughs> yeah. All righty. So you're in San Diego. Did you, you didn't grow up in San Diego? No, I grew up in New Mexico, which is a couple states over. Yeah. Uh, in the desert. And uh, most of my life, childhood, high school, college. And then veterinary school, Colorado. And then in 1997, packed up my old Mustang, my old junkie Mustang, and drove to San Diego. I always had this dream of being a veterinarian in San Diego. True. And you never looked back. I never looked back. Yeah. In the area. Yeah. Generally San Diego, but all around California. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So you're in California now. You are, you've been there your whole veterinary career. Yeah. 25 years. 25 years. Wow. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. That is a... It's a good That's a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, so you were working in, um, it was like shelters, bounds? Like... I In my 25 years, I probably worked in every area of the profession. I started yeah. out in tr- traditional veterinary work, you know, where you, you bring your dog or your cat to me. Uh, and then I decided to take on shelter medicine. I don't know why exactly, because it's it's grueling work. It, you're underpaid. You're doing the worst thing you can do in my profession, which is euthanizing dog, healthy dogs and cats some mornings. And it just sort of kills your soul. But I did that for five years. But I will say that it was that five years doing that work that taught me a lot of the values and and sort of inspired me to do what I'm doing today. Yeah. Did you always want to become a vet? I, that's what I'm told since I was seven. I, uh, my mom tells a story that I walked out of the Black Stallion and was holding her hand and looked up at her and said, when I grow up, I'm going to be an animal doctor. And she said, since that age, that's, that's all I talked about. My mom made me watch that movie, probably around the same age. But yeah. We still, we got, still got the VHS of it, like the tape. So It's a beautiful movie. Like yeah. you, you grew up with animals? Yes. Yeah. Uh, mom was a big animal fanatic so we had dogs and cats chickens horses she had a cattle ranch for a while so uh yeah i got it i got a dose of everything yeah nice so you've gone from you've always wanted to be a vet you've then gone to the shelters which would be the absolute worst i believe because the suicide rate in veterinaries is very high i know it is in australia i'm sure it would be in the u.s yeah i again yeah i don't know rates internationally but i know here in, in america that it of all white collar professionals veterinarians have the highest suicide rate wow. sadly 
that's yeah, it's very sad, especially every day when you're dealing with that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I've had my moments too. I mean, I, I would say I've I've been on the brink of that, but um, certainly there's been periods in my career, uh, namely the shelter work, where I had serious lows. Yeah, you thought about giving up the profession? I yeah, I did. I the I'll share this story with you because it it uh, sort of segues into what I'm doing now. But uh, there was a day where I just said I can't go into work. And, um, this was coming after a day we had euthanized 60 animals by 10 AM. And I, it, you know, this is probably three and a half, four years in. I just remember thinking I can't do this anymore. And I, um, I stopped at a Seven Eleven where I routinely would get, uh, my gas or coffee. And I had seen this homeless gentleman, the same, I've seen this same man probably six or seven times before. And on this day, when I was about to get my coffee and just drive home, <clears throat> I decided to step over and talk to him because I noticed, excuse me, he had a dog. He was sitting there um, on the ground, sort of in the corner, like you see him tucked, tucked away with a dog. I noticed his dog had a really bad skin condition. And, um, you know, again, sadly, I'd seen this guy before, just ignored him. I think like a lot of us do when we, we see the unhoused. Yeah. But there was something that told me to step over and talk to him. And I did. And I said, you know, I see your dog has a, a really bad uh, skin condition. It looks like fleas. Uh, and it was bad. You know, when, when dogs, I, I, I'm sure it's not a whole lot different there, but when dogs get fleas so bad for so long, it just, it completely destroys the skin. This dog looked like a burn victim on the hind end. It looked like someone who burned its rear. It had no hair. The skin was red and bumpy. It was infected. The dog was miserable. He was miserable. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'll come back tomorrow with something that I think can help. And I did. I returned. It was just a basic flea treatment. It was three bucks yeah. and five minutes of my time. And then I returned about 10 days later and saw the same man and same dog. And the dog was transformed and wagging its tail. And the, the gentleman sitting in the same spot looked up at me um, with tears in his eyes and he just said, thank you for not ignoring me. And that was the kickoff day for the street vet. It, it was then that I decided I'm going to get back to saving animals on my terms. Um, not at work and not for pay, uh, but for passion. And that was about 12 years ago. And I haven't stopped doing the work since. I'm going to tear up listening to that. Jesus. <laughs> me, me too. Again. It's too early in the morning for that. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have um, told you to get some tissue. Yeah, no, nah, that's all good. It's good to hear. So that's when it all started, and you didn't tell anyone about it. You just did it by yourself. I didn't tell anybody. I, I have one younger sibling, a brother, yeah. and I didn't even tell him for the better part of six or seven years. It, wow. it was just something I wanted to be mine. It, it wasn't for attention. Uh, it it felt like my own little secret crusade, something I was doing, it, you know, in the evenings and weekends. And it was just for me. It was, it was a way for me to heal, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just did it quietly for a long time. Yeah. Nice. And then how did, how did people find out? Did you tell someone and they just told the world? I, so <clears throat> transition from shelter work for five years to movie work for seven years. So after getting burnt out at the shelter, I, 
Um, and I, and I'll tell you, I did exactly five years to the day at the shelter because that's when our pension vested. So one day before five years, I lose all that money. I hit five years exactly. And then all the money I'd invested in my pension, um, will mature for me one day. So I, I, I knew when I got to three and a half, four years, I just had to hang on a little bit longer. And I did, I found ways to mentally cope and, um, little distractions at work to keep me going. But I made the five years and I just knew I have to do something completely different. So I applied for this job, this random job I didn't even know existed, um, protecting animals on movie sets. <clears throat> so this is a thing. <laughs> Who knew? Veterinarians go on film sets and they monitor the animals during action to make sure that they are humanely treated, that yeah. the stunts aren't over the top. Uh, which is a thing in Hollywood because directors come in with these visions. Like I want to jump this horse over three train carts. <laughs> yeah. I can and yet as I know, stop, that's not going to work. Horses don't do that. Uh, so I came in as director of no animals were harmed. No animals were harmed is a legacy program here in America. And for 78, 79 years, it's been protecting animals on film sets worldwide. So I, I applied and surprisingly got the director job. They had never had a veterinarian actually run the whole business Oh, but I Jesus. stepped in and yeah, surprisingly, it was all administrators, <laughs> right? You think, what, what, why not? Yeah. Um, I did. I stepped in for seven years. I revamped the program. I started hiring more veterinarians to be on set. And, and that was my life. That was my veterinary life for, for the better part of seven years. And I loved it. It, uh, it just got me away from what I was doing, which I needed a break. And, and uh, yeah, I'd sit on set with A-listers like Brad Pitt and and watch you know watch him wrestle with a pit bull on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But to answer your question, a long-winded answer to your question, that's when the street vet was discovered because I happened to be on set talking to a producer, and on on film sets there's a lot of hurry up and wait. There's there's probably two hours of action, eight hours of downtime. So there's a lot of talking and hanging out and drinking coffee. And this producer just struck up a conversation. He said, what do you do in your free time? And I just happened to share, you know, I, a passion of mine for the last seven years has been going and helping the homeless. And I described some of the stories that had been shared with me on the street. Some of these remarkable stories of hope and struggle. And he said, that's a TV show, man. And he greenlit it to be a, to be a reality show called The Street Vet. Yeah. So that that's how I found you. It came on on Australia. Okay. as a rerun of it. So binge the season and then thought, oh, I'll try my luck, I'll reach out and here we are. Here we thanks, are, man. Thanks I'm glad you yeah. did. Well, yeah, thanks for awesome. watching. What did nah, you think? Awesome. I enjoyed it. it oh, between me and my fiance, we shed a few tears. <laughs> no. It was good. No. It was very no. good. It's good just to see something positive on TV. Like not the same. Yeah, thing. you know, I, I I'll be honest with you. Um you know, and I've seen hundreds of cases in the streets. They, they don't all end positive, and not every yeah. story has a happy ending. We tried to, we tried to show some of the best of the best, so that one people get away from judging these folks on the streets, yeah. uh, casting judgment on them, and and two, just try to inspire people that kindness, one act of kindness, can go a long ways. Yeah, most definitely, which is very true, and I think a lot of people need to know because in Australia here, like. Our homeless don't really have pets from what I've seen. Like maybe the odd one will have a dog, but hmm. when I've been in the States, a lot of people do have animals, which is amazing. And obviously they can't afford care if they're in that situation. And 
well, not if they're in that situation, but a lot of them can't afford care. They can't. And, they, yeah. and that's where I step in. And I never knew I had I had a role to play like that until I just until I stumbled on that guy outside of yeah. the convenience store. And you funded all you fund started funding it yourself at the beginning. I did, yeah. For that first seven or eight years, I just yeah. uh, it was out of my own pocket, and I uh, I just made a commitment to um, shave off, set aside a, a part of my salary, and yeah. commit it to medicine and procedures that needed to be done, and uh, and it worked well. the The hardest part was having to turn people away and say no at times because there were moments where I would see a dog that needed to have a cancer or tumor removed, for example. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm meeting some of these people in different parts of the state where I don't practice. So I may be up in San Francisco or I could be in Los Angeles and I don't have a clinic there. So I have to send them to a, a colleague to have the work done. And I, I have to pay out of pocket. Some of these things climb $2,000, $3,000. And I just, I couldn't help everybody. And it, uh, it was discouraging to have to tell people at times, I can't, I can't do this for you. Did you get, you've been down Skid Row and spoken to thousands of people, I'm sure. And is that scary? Just approaching these people? Yeah. That sounds, sorry, that sounds real judgmental. That's not what I meant. But is, no, it's not. No, I look. I, I was I was hesitant to go to Skid Row the first time I went to Skid Row because <laughs> prior to that, I had never actually gone into Skid Row. I'd driven on the outskirts, and Skid Row is like I forget eight, ten square blocks. It's just, I mean, people describe it as zombie land because, you know, outside those borders, you have some of the biggest, richest homes, tallest buildings in the country. But yeah. right over the tracks, you have tents and tarps and broken down cars and people cooking their meal in the middle of the street. And it's just bizarre. It's bizarre to see that in the middle of L.A., you know, one of the most prominent, famous cities in the world. And, yeah, there's there's drugs and, you know, violence and different things going on. So no, it, it, it was a little scary, but here's the thing. I've been there now. I can't count how many times I've never had a cross moment with anybody. I've never been frightened. Um, I've never felt like I had to get defensive and maybe I've been a little lucky, but I, I just think more than that, it's not what people think it is. Yes, there are some things going on that shouldn't be going on, yeah. but these people are just trying to find a way to live. They, you know, a lot of them have fallen on hard times economically and they're just trying to find a cheap way to live. They're not out trying to cause trouble. They don't want to go to jail. They are just trying to live. And when I show up and I offer to help their pet, it's almost like someone just drops out of the sky and says, yeah, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm here to help. I get the warmest welcomes. And and when I go back and see them again, yeah. they're like repeat. And they see me, they they wave, hey, it's <laughs> Doc, come over here. And, and sometimes it's, it's nothing more than to say hi, shake my hand and find out how I'm doing. Um, yeah, you know, I, I've met some really remarkable people there. Yeah. That's good. I'm sure many of them would have great stories and sad stories as well. Do you think the pandemic has ruined, like, forced a lot more people to be homeless in I do. the States. Yeah, I mean I, I know the numbers reflect that, but anecdotally, when I when I do the work and I do quite a bit of work in San Diego as well, and we're not thought of as really a, a homeless city, but really in America, any coastal warm city 
is becoming flooded with the homeless. Yeah. For obvious reasons. You, you're living in Chicago, you're going to freeze in the winter. So they come, you come here. I would if I didn't have a home. Um, so yeah, during the pandemic, it the numbers just seem to to soar and they haven't from what I've noticed, they haven't gone back. They haven't leveled off. Because the cost of living's going up over there as well, like it is here. It's yeah, it's it's crazy. Gone through the roof. It was it's like gone. Hawaii was a big eye opener for me when we went to Hawaii, the homeless people. Like all through Waikiki and that. It was because here, here in Australia you don't really like unless you know where they are, you don't really see them. Like there's one you area don't. in an area that's near me, which is nothing like Skid Row, but you might have a hundred homeless people there. But apart apart from that, you don't really don't see them. It's very strange. Yeah. I I I would have thought that Australia probably is is like a sister country to America in some ways and you would have a lot of the same problems, but that's not the case, huh? I I think we do have a lot of the same problems, but I think we got a much less population than the US where I think we got like more refuges and that kind of stuff. Missions where they can help them. Right. Maybe you have a better system to keep them off the streets than we do. Yeah, I don't know, but it's very interesting that we don't see them like through our main city here where I live, just that one area. Yeah, let me ask you, if you were, is Sydney your largest city? Um, I think at the moment it is, yes. So Sydney, so if you're... you definitely see a lot more. Okay. But they kind of like all stick to the one area, kind of like Skid Row, but not in that main part where everyone is interesting yeah every major city in america has a homeless problem yeah. every everyone even the cold weather cities but more so like i said in your warm cities like miami la san diego san francisco it's new york just because of the sheer population it's it's yeah. terrible it's definitely eye-opening when you go to the states on what's going on do you think like with your work, working on movie sets and all that, do you ever get to a movie set and just think, here we are, we've got Dalmatians on set, the population's going to go through the roof of Dalmatians. <laughs> now I say this because I have two Dalmatians. Not because be- of the movie? No, not because of the movie. One, my oldest one, Gator, he kind of just came to us by luck, but it was during COVID and he was a puppy needed a home so we took him so now we got a COVID puppy we call it so separation anxiety he's beautiful dog though and then we got a sister for him Miami and she's beautiful she's great but it's not because of the movie (laughs) but when that movie came out we saw hundreds of them yeah well look I'll tell you every every major motion picture that highlights or features a breed or a, a certain animal, it it happens. I what was I forget the name of the movie now. It featured a Chihuahua, Beverly Hills Chihuahua or something. Oh, yeah, Paris Hilton. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> and then for a year after that, Chihuahuas. And then but what happens and and here's the sad side of it because I lived it. After the movie, people rush out and get these dogs, Dalmatians and Chihuahuas, and then realize it's not a good fit for them. And then where do they end up? They end up exactly. with me at the shelter. And for the ones that can't get rehomed, they never walk out. Yeah. And that's the part, that's the other side of the coin that people don't see. When they rush, they rush to go get an animal because it looked glamorous on the screen. And they realize 
there's a lot of work. This is a lifetime commitment. This is like a 15 year commitment, not a, I'm going to play with you on the weekends and reality hits people. And then, then they're making a ride to me at the shelter. That's sad. Especially when you get movies like that new Channing Tatum one with um, the Belgian Malamoyne. Mm-hmm. They are, they're not a dog that anyone should just have. No, no. And you know, I else, I don't judge breeds. I judge people more because I think pit bulls get a bad rap, but there are a there's a few exceptions, <laughs> and the Malinois is one of them, yes. because that dog is just breed bred and wired for certain behaviors and actions. Yeah, uh, and no, that's that's just not a a family dog you take on and say let's let's bring the Mal- <laughs> let's let's leave Jimmy around the Malinois while we go to the store and we just we just brought this dog in the home. No. Yeah, and we'll just leave him in the yard for eight hours a day mm-hmm. and hope he doesn't destroy anything. Right. Right. Yeah. Develop separation anxiety and every other, you know, behavioral issue. No. Exactly. Like, yeah, we have to walk out twice a day and, and they're good as gold, but yeah, very full on. Do you, you have animals? I do. Uh, we have four dogs. Four and dogs. A cat. Oh, four man. dogs. It's a little much. Yes. I mean, I guess as a vet, you think, oh, of course you have lots of pets, but you know, the thing is when you're working all day as a vet, you don't always want to <laughs> come yeah. home to work too. Yeah, true. So, um, my fiance, I'm engaged as well. She has a few pets. She had a few dogs. I had one and a cat. So, you know, we blend dog families and here we are. I have seen your dog on your Instagram. What, what breed? Yeah, she, I don't know um, because I got her at my old shelter, yeah. funny enough. I believe she's Husky Shepherd. She she looks like a shepherd, some kind of shepherd mix, and I would guess Husky. Yeah. And she does. She has some of the behaviors of a Husky. She howls and oh, does. This is my thing. Dalmatian. Yeah. Because oh, she <laughs> hangs out with Huskies. <laughs> right. They teach them bad things. Yeah. Mine is just instinct. But I also know she's Shepherd because she herds. She likes to herd everything. She's always yeah. herding the other dogs and pushing them into different directions. But. <laughs> She, yeah, she's a good dog, but high energy like yours. I have to get her out or, you know, she's, yeah. she'll, she'll dig holes and destroy, oh. destroy the backyard. Yeah. That's why we got two cats and it's the best. That's so chill. Yeah. Do cats are easy thing. all day long. And the greyhound, we got a greyhound and that thing is the best. He does nothing all day. Slays around. You know what's what's funny about greyhounds? Yeah. You know, we, when I studied at Colorado State, you know, 25 years ago, uh, the breed we would uh, work on were greyhounds. They were all greyhounds. It was because there was a, a greyhound racetrack in Colorado nearby. And when the dogs retired, they would come to us and we'd examine them and then adopt them out. And so I learned the breed very well. What surprises people about greyhounds, which is the fastest breed, mm. one of the fastest animals, is they are the laziest dogs. They don't do anything. They're they're muscled like they work out and run every day. Yeah. But they don't they just lay on the couch. They don't do anything. It's it's crazy. They they'd be my favorite breed, I reckon. Easily. Yeah. Like we me and my oh, we've rescued a few animals here and there, like horses between me, my mom and my partner. The greyhound's probably the the best. Because we in Australia we got a big racing culture, like greyhound racing is huge here. Mm. And you hear all the time about trainers just chopping off their ears because they tattoo them and just throw them down the well or yeah. just shoot them out the back. And it's, it's really sad. So there's a few organizations that help to try and save them because it is such a problem. Same as racehorses, but 
obviously. Yeah, it, it, we we had a bigger problem twenty years ago. We're seeing the the racetrack industry for for greyhounds is is almost gone here. Yeah, so and I think for the better because in an industry like that, there's always people that are going to abuse it. It's it's for money. It's for profit. Uh, they see him as a tool, not as an animal. Exactly. It's sad. Yeah, it is sad. Now, for regular pet owners, I see you love to tell people to get pet insurance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. I uh, I have a I have a relationship with Fetch, Fetch by the Dodo, and the thing is, I I don't do it because of this renewed uh, relationship. It's be, it's because really going back to when I first started um, working as a vet, there's just so many people who come in on emergency and I did emergency work too for three years, critical care emergency. So I did graveyard shifts working at night, right? You see a lot of hit by cars come in, you see a lot of poisoning and just random things you never think are going to happen to your dog. And a lot of people just don't have disposable money. They don't have $3,000 sitting around to save their pet. So what's the answer, right? What's the answer? Get coverage. It's, it's now that it's available Back then, there was really only one small company starting to push their way in. But now there's so many options for pet insurance that, you know, Fetch is my personal choice. I know them. I know their product. But do your research and just find one. That way, on my end, as an ER vet, when you come to me, if you have coverage, I don't have to turn you away. I don't have to say I can only treat your dog for pain. And that is the worst feeling for me, too. Because then they think, oh, you're just doing it for the money. Yeah, I've look, I've given a lot of free services away in my time, but a veterinarian is also trying to run a business and to keep his doors open so he can serve others. He, we are like any other business. And I, I think sometimes that's lost on people in emotional moments, obviously. Yeah. But, but yeah, if, if people just secured insurance, a lot of these issues would go away. Do you think it's a lot like health insurance over there? Because you guys don't have free health insurance. We don't. We And you do. Is that correct? Yeah. It's yeah we universal there. Free healthcare, yeah. It's like Canada, yeah. Yeah. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually, that's why a lot of these people end up on the street. Well, yeah, they right. got one injury and they can't afford it. It's right. There's a trickle down effect. You're right. I I could do a dissertation on this and and the people I've spoken to in the streets and how they suffer from basic ailments that can be treated so easily, but they they can't. They have no coverage or they're going through cancer treatment and it's cut short and they're back on the streets. So I, yeah, it, it should be universal for people in this country. And really I think as more and more people secure it for their pets and it becomes universal, then the costs go down, right. For everybody. And then everybody can get, can get medical care, not just for themselves, but for their pets. And that would be my dream, right? <laughs> That'd be my dream. And then, then, you know, all these pets that I see going without care, medical care, they get it too. Yeah, absolutely. It's sad. It's very sad, but make sure you get it. We've got it. You heard, you heard it from me. Make sure you get it. Do it. <laughs> exactly. Look it up. Yes. Go to Fetch and check it out. Go to go to. I'm not going to sit here and and try and pump Fetch anybody, but just go do your research. Understand the benefits, because I I will promise you this: during the lifetime of your pet, something is going to go sideways that you don't predict, and you're not going to have the money for it. Yeah, it's it's, it's the, the probability of that is greater than 95%. So be prepared. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And the fifty hundred dollars a month is a lot better than one big 10 grand bill. Yes. Alrighty. Now, as our time wraps up, I have a couple of questions for you. Actually, I want to ask you one thing. You've got a book yeah. coming out. I do. Yeah. Uh, 
should be springtime. How our pets and, make us human. What's that? Is it called How Our Pets Make Us Human? No, it's oh. called. It, we're still we're still playing with the title. It's called oh, yeah. What It Takes to Save a Life. Oh, nice. That's beautiful. So that's yeah. what's, is that just a memoir or? It is. It's sort of uh, autobiographical uh, memoir. Uh, it's little James Harriet, uh, but instead of on a countryside, it's me walking the urban streets, catching stories, and helping pets and. And like I said, I, I mean, some of the, the stories I've, you know, heard, they, they move you to tears, but they move you to other things too. They move you to help. They move you to take things for granted less. And it's, I mean, it steadied me and balanced me in a lot of ways. So I've, I've just put all these stories in a book and. Yeah. Beautiful. I look forward to that. That'll be good. Hopefully it's available here. <laughs> it, it'll be everywhere. I'll make sure it's everywhere. I'll make sure you get a copy. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Alrighty, so I've got one question for you. Yeah. Do you believe that pets can come back as previous pets? <laughs> that sounds real deep and Yeah, that's that's deep, man. You're crossing over the, the spirit. Because, I think because I've got a little story, so I'll share it with you quickly. Okay. So growing up I had a golden retriever Boswell. I was only child, so my mum when I was two got me this dog. And me and this dog Boswell were inseparable. And he passed away at the age of 16. So I was 18. And then um, a few years ago, or three years ago now, during the pandemic, we went to look at, there was this, this one Dalmatian puppy left and Gator, who we ended up adopting. And he's got one blue eye. Anyway, so we've come home and we've gone out one day and he's just ripped everything apart. Like a lot of my old photos, just all this stuff. And then we were sitting on the lounge and I was so angry with him. And he put his head under the lounge and he pulled out this one photo of me and Boswell. And it was the one photo that wasn't destroyed. And his, like his mannerisms, how he behaves is just the exact same. And I'm convinced that he is reincarnated. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, based on that story, I guess that would serve as evidence, right? (laughs) Well, I'm convinced. I like to know if other people think the same. Yeah, I. You, well, you have to figure this, and I don't. I don't know the answer to that. I haven't really given that a lot of thought. But I, I suppose if you believe animals can come back, then then you'd have to believe people and other, you know, dogs, and you'd have to think of your cat or your, you know, your soulmate. I suppose they can be reincarnated too. I don't know. My my mom's a Buddhist, and in that culture, they do believe and some form of reincarnation i don't know that i completely bought into that yet but uh, <laughs> you know as a scientist the thing is as a scientist especially as a western um scientist it's it's really sort of ashes to ashes right dust mm-hmm. to dust and the universe recycles in different ways but i don't know i don't have all the answers <laughs> all righty and what's next for you yeah great question i <clears throat> I'm at a point now where I can dream a little bit there. There's a lot of, you know, open road in front of me. I never thought the street vet would turn into what it has become and that, that people would would love it so much. It would resonate with them as much as it had. I just never predicted any of that. That's why I never really talked about it. I never thought it was a big deal. It was just, I was taught to give back as a child and that was my form of giving back. So I don't know. I mean, we're we're just 
starting to sprout up other teams, street vet teams in other parts of the country. We have one in Atlanta. I have one in LA, one in Washington, DC, and one starting in San Francisco. So these vets came to me and they said, we want to do what you do and not for money. We want to volunteer our time. So this, this is taking on a new life. And, you know, I thought about this actually it was a friend of mine on one of my guys trips. He said this, he said, you know, Quan, and, you know, we go back. It's like six of my best buds going back to college days. So we can, we just razz each other and give each other a hard time. But in a serious moment, one of them said, you know, like 50, 60 years from now, you're probably the only one that'll be remembered out of all of us. And I thought that was his way of like giving me a compliment to saying, you know, <laughs> what, what you're doing is is pretty remarkable. And they said, you know, and to go one step further, you could probably in the last stage of your life, earn $50 million and no one will remember you or care about that. Your legacy is helping others. And I'm realizing more and more that is where I'm supposed to be. And I'm going to keep leaning into it. Beautiful. And how can people help out? If you want to help out, uh, our website has a lot of information about what we do. Projectstreetvet.org. You can go to Instagram and follow some of the stories. Of course, donations are what fuel the mission. Anything helps. I can, for with $5, I can do a lot with $5. Uh, you know, when I get vaccines at cost and medicines at cost and I'm volunteering my time, um, I can stretch $5, $10. Of course, the more, the better, you know, I can do procedures with that. But, um, and then, you know, I just like the support when people like some of the videos or say, keep going, um, you're changing the world, you know, yeah, it, uh, it hits home. It's going to yeah. make me tear up. Those, those <laughs> things mean a lot to me. So, uh, any kind of support, uh, it, it helps. And it's just, it's nice to know that I, in one small way, I'm, I am creating a little bit of change in the world. Most definitely. Most definitely. And you kind to someone, they'll be kind to someone else. Ripple effect. It is pay it forward. We'll make sure we tag it all the socials and all that stuff in all our links and that. So that'll be good. And hopefully one day we'll catch up in San Diego or LA. If you're ever down, if you're ever in Southern California, yeah, you make it to my neighborhood, then uh, you let me know. I'm in LA more often than not. So. All right. <laughs> well, then, hey, if you make it to LA sometime, I'll, I'll give you a little personal tour of Skid Row. If you want to. Uh, I would love that. I would honestly want- love that. If you want to go into the jungle and see what I see, yeah. then, uh, you can tag along. Absolutely. I would love that. Thank you very much, Dr. Kwan, for your time. This has been inspiring, and I'm very happy that you gave us the time to do this. You're welcome. Yeah, now anytime you... I can share the stories, I, I love doing it. Now you have to get back to work. You still got I, another day. Uh, something, something's calling my name. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Now I have to go to work, too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was nice to meet you. Appreciate you it. Too. Thank you, Kwan. Okay. Much okay. appreciated. All right. We'll talk later, buddy. Okay. Bye-bye.